It is fall in the Pacific Northwest, if you haven't noticed. Uh, the weather has changed, the air has a little bit crisp, uh, the leaves are starting to turn, the weather is a little bit rainy and drizzly. Now, uh, in addition to the change in the season, there's also a change in life right now. Uh, fall brings a new focus and a new rhythm. Uh, the other morning, I was taking Bailey on our morning walk, and as we went out from our house, one of my neighbors was walking one of his daughters down to the bus stop. And so I yelled across the street and asked her how the first couple of days were going, and she said, good. And then I chatted with her dad for a second, and Joe said, we're getting back into a rhythm, and rhythm is good. And I was like, man, I feel the same way. I love the summer. I love being able to go out and do things. I love that it's light until 10 o'clock. I love this last year that so many of us were able to do things that we couldn't do the year before. But I also like rhythm. Uh, and fall brings rhythm back into so many aspects of our lives. We're all getting back into the fall rhythm now. And we know that COVID has and might again disrupt the, the rhythm, but it sure feels good to have something that feels a little bit like normal. I love rhythm. And fall also brings focus. Uh, in many ways, the beginning of fall is the beginning of a new year, even more than the calendar year. Uh, summer's been great, but now it's the chance to get focused. And now that's what we're going to do in the new sermon series. And what we're doing as a church in the Rooted program. It's going to give us a chance to get, really get rooted in our faith. And in many ways, this is the first time that many of us will gather back together again since the pandemic began a year ago, March, here in Washington. Uh, and this last year has been kind of interesting in so many ways. Uh, I've often said that faith is really easy to have until you need it. And this last year, we have really needed it in so many different ways. Uh, for most of us, there have been moments where we have succeeded spectacularly. And there have been other moments where we pretty much failed. There have been times, if you're like anything like me, where you experienced anger and grief and reactions that caused me to stop and go, where in the world did that come from? And our faith has been a resource for us to draw on during these challenging times because it provides hope and strength and assurance of God's presence. And so now we're going to take the opportunity to get rooted in that again. We want to engage with our faith on a deep level so that we can tap into God and the things that he wants to do in and through us. So as part of Rooted, we're going to be developing focus and developing some rhythms. But today, in order to kick it off, I want to look at what for many of us is going to be a familiar passage, and for some of us, it might be brand new. It is a passage about what was happening in the church at the very beginning. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42, down to about verse 47. Luke, who writes this, writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, context. This is the book two of Luke's two-part series, Luke and Acts. And in the Gospel of Luke, he talks pretty much about what Jesus is doing and has done and will do. And then in the second installment, the book of Acts, Luke talks about what happens after Jesus ascends into the heavens. He talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and then the spread of the gospel throughout the known world in the first couple of decades of Christianity. So the book begins with Jesus telling his disciples that they should go back uh, to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to enable them to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach people what Jesus has commanded and baptize them. So they go back to Jerusalem and they wait and in, then the Holy Spirit descends in a pretty spectacular sort of way with like tongues of fire, you know, basically flames on people's heads. And then they hear, the crowd that's gathered around, hear all of these disciples, these Jewish men, praising God in languages they know they don't speak. So people from all over the Roman Empire have gathered and they're hearing their own language being spoken. And some people look for extraordinary ways that maybe this has happened, it's a miracle. Other people look for, you know, the experiential, I think they're probably drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, well, we're not drunk. What this was was the Holy Spirit. And then he kind of presents the gospel. He explains the whole Jesus story to them. And so people hear the story and they get saved. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And the church, the community forms. And that's what the rest of Acts talks about. And some pretty amazing things happen all the way through Acts, but particularly in chapter 2. But then some time elapses between verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Peter preached, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And then some time elapses before verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How much time? I don't know. A day or two, a week, I don't know, but not a ton of time. So the rest of chapter, 40, uh, chapter 2 from verse 42 on is talking about a pretty early experience with the early church. This is at the earliest moments what the church looked like and what it thought was important. And Luke gives us a list. So let's take a quick look at what they thought was important. First, it was the apostles' teaching. Well, what are the apostles' teaching? Basically, it's what we would call the gospel. And a good idea of what that early preaching looked like is the speech that Peter has just given, where he kind of goes through who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how he's God's provision for people. And then, after people have heard that, the apostles' teaching, I think, goes on to the practical steps in how do you follow Jesus? Because nothing is written down yet. There are no gospels, there are no epistles, they don't have anything. And so this is the ultimate situation of WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, we don't have anything except what the apostles can tell us about what Jesus taught. So the apostles are talking about the gospel, but they're also, I think, giving some practical guidance in how you live your life as a Jesus follower. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The next thing is fellowship. 
Now, fellowship could be a separate thing. They fellowshiped and then they did these other things. Or it might be an umbrella category for what comes next. It's like they devoted themselves to fellowship, which looked like this, 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 and this. Fellowship is characterized by these things. And that's how I'm going to take it. That fellowship is kind of an umbrella term, and fellowship looks like these things. So, breaking of the bread. Now, there's two schools of thought on this. One is that it's talking about people just having folks over for dinner and sharing meals together. The other school of thought is that this is talking about them celebrating the Lord's Supper. But can't it be both? I think that it probably was. I think they were doing both of them, and sometimes it was the same thing. Uh, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper as a part of the dinners that they would share, just like observant Jews to this day uh, celebrate Passover as part of, part of a meal. So they're getting together, they're sharing meals together, and they're sharing the Lord's Supper like we do most every Sunday when we are present. They devote themselves to prayer. Why is prayer important? Uh, for my money, the most important aspect of prayer is that it connects us to God. It's not so much about the asking that goes on as it is about the developing of the relationship. The more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend exposed to God. The more time we spend exposed to God, the more time that we begin to look like Jesus. When we spend time with God, we're transformed by his presence and we're transformed by God's priorities. Now remember, they already had the Lord's Prayer, so they were asking for God's presence, they were acknowledging God's presence, and they were asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in their lives and in their situation as it is in heaven. So they were connecting with God and his priorities, and I think that's the biggest part of prayer. The next thing that they were do, doing was they were taking care of needs among people in their body and among people outside. And I think this is a natural outcome. You spend time with people, you're having dinner together, you're being together, you talk, and all of a sudden the needs that people have, the needs that people that you love or that you know or that you come into contact, the needs that they have become apparent. And when the needs became apparent, most decent people try and say, what can I do to help? And so that was that something that characterized the early church. They saw the needs that were in their community around them, and they tried to help. They also had a regular presence among the people in Jerusalem. This I know it's because it says they continued to meet in the temple courts. So what is a temple court? The temple has several different aspects to it, just like kind of our church does. I mean, our church has the worship center sanctuary area, but it also has the gathering place. And you can find people in both places, sometimes at the same time. And so this is basically equivalent to saying they showed up in the gathering place every single day. And because there was most of the worship happened out in the open, they could also participate in the worship that was going on. So they're out in the gathering place, and when worship kicks into gear in the worship center, they can also participate in that too. So what are they doing in the temple courts? What are they doing out in the gathering place? Well, they're probably talking. They're, they're probably sharing life with each other. They're probably talking about what it was like to follow Jesus, what challenges they're facing. They're probably studying the scriptures 
or kicking around the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures that they had. They're engaging people in conversation, probably who stop by, who wonder what's going on. And then they stop to worship at the appointed time. One of the most important things that I take from this is they aren't hidden away. They're still out being a part of their society and their culture. And they're bringing their newfound faith in Jesus to the places that they have always gone. And then it makes the note that they have glad and sincere hearts. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard to tell where this fits in, but it seems to be attached to they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think that speaks to an orientation of gratefulness. For most of them, early days of the church, the freshness of their salvation is right in front of them. The, the taste of grace is still in their mouths. And they live out of a sense of gratitude out of, for what they have received. They have glad hearts. They have sincere hearts because they're honestly living in and loving this grace that they, that they know. They count their blessings. And they're praising God. I think that brings in the worship element as being in the temple courts did, but it also talks about how their lives have been transformed and now they're worshiping God for that. And this worship of God helps to form this new community that's characterized by grateful hearts and it recognizes where the community and where the grace comes from. And then Luke notes, as a result of all these things that are priorities, they're enjoying the favor of all of the people. Why would that be? My best guess is because the people saw the change for the better in other people's lives. The people saw that this small group of folk, well, 3,000, it wasn't small anymore, that this group of people who now were following Jesus were adding value to the community. They're meeting people's needs, and people appreciate that. I mean, contrast that with what we talked about the last couple weeks in the Thessalonian church, where only 20 years later, this, the church is seen as a drag on society, as being a bunch of people who are leeches taking from society, as opposed to when the church is originally formed and people feel like the church is giving to society. What a difference. So these are the things that characterized the early church. They were together a lot. They're pursuing God together. They were living out their purposes and they were impacting other people. And that's what the community was formed by. If you looked in from the outside, you know, if you wandered by in the temple courts and saw this little group, those would be the characteristics that you would notice. And I think this is important for us because our community isn't in the process of being formed, but our community is in the process, process of being reformed because we've been apart for so long. And so this is a wonderful opportunity for us to say, to remind ourselves who we are, for us to say, this is who we are. These are the things that are priorities. These are the things that are important. I, I wish I could remember who said it. Uh, I, I read it uh, a while ago, but the quote stuck with me. So if anybody's heard the quote or you want to Google it and tell me, I'd be happy to give this person credit. But the quote was, worship is about identity construction and maintenance. Listen to that again. Worship is about identity construction and maintenance. In other words, 
When we worship God, we find out who we are. When we worship God, you know, we, we worship on Sundays together uh, in a unique corporate sort of way, even if it's online. And then we kind of go out and we do our lives. I know worship incorporates everything, but we're talking about this one unique form of it. And we go out and we just live our lives. And all week long, we hear other messages. We are invited to become part of other stories. And then we come back to worship together and we're reminded of who we are in Christ of who God sees us as, as opposed to how the culture sees us. We, we get our identity constructed and maintained in worship. And so this is going to be an opportunity for us to re-explore, to rediscover our identity, and then to have it maintained. At the beginning of this passage, there is a really important word. It says that the early church was devoted to these things. It doesn't say what the early church dabbled in. It doesn't say what the early church dinked around with. It says what the early church devoted themselves to. These were priorities that were priorities in actuality in their lives. Over the last year and a half or so, what have you devoted yourself to? As you look forward to the next week or 10 weeks that we'll be doing Rooted and Beyond, what are you devoted to now? Just making it through? Consuming social media? Blowing through everything Netflix has or less healthy internet-based pursuits? Uh, maybe you've been consumed, devoted to taking care of other people or coping triumphantly, which many people have. Maybe you've been escaping as much as possible or picking up a new spiritual discipline. What would you say that you are devoted to? One of the important things about Rooted is that it's going to help us to focus on and devote ourselves to the most important things. Through Rooted, we're going to connect with God, we're going to connect with the church, and we're going to connect with our individual purposes that God has for us. We're going to be able to focus on things like how do you have a relationship with God and how do you maintain that relationship? We're going to look at developing relational depth with people at church. Lots of people know a couple of people. Some people engage with friendly people. And some people have deep relationships. And we want to move everybody to the point where they have deep relationships with people in the church. Developing that relational depth. I truly believe that Jesus has called you to be here. And I know there might be some temptation. My friends go here, or they have a better program for this, or their service is at X time, or their production values are better. I, I don't know what. But, but I think one of the things that I hope that we take seriously over this Rooted program is that Jesus called you here. What does Jesus have for you as a part of Harbor Covenant? And then our purpose. Your life matters. Your life counts for something. What do you want it to matter for? What do you want your life to count for? Rooted is going to remind us of the story that God calls us to live into. The story that we are loved, that we are cared for, that there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love of Christ, that God saw the mess that we were in in our lives and, and figured out a way out for us through Jesus that we're given purpose and meaning and hope for the future. That's the story that we are invited into. And there are so many other stories that we hear 
and so many other stories that we might be tempted to live into. Stories like, stuff will make you happy, or stories like, people don't matter, or a million others. But we're going to have the invitation to live deeply into the Jesus story. I really like the Rooted that we're going to be doing because it gives us an opportunity to look two ways. It gives us an opportunity to look inside at ourselves and our church, but it also turns our focus out on the world and the people that Jesus came to save. And we'll be doing that through focus and rhythms. Some of the rhythms will be that there are daily readings to be done. And I know many of you have daily devotions. You're already doing lots of great things. But this is something that we're going to do together. And I would really encourage you to give yourself over to it. Some of you already have that habit. And others of you, this might be the time that you develop the habit of getting into God's Word daily. So I hope that you will do that. One of the things that I'm most excited about in Rooted is the movement that it may create in our individual lives. The book talks about that Rooted wants to take us from being complacent to being a consumer, from being a consumer to being connected, from being connected to being committed, and from being committed to being compelled. And I think that'll be really helpful. My observation is that there are two specific places in there that we get hung up. We get hung up moving from being a consumer to being connected because it's so easy to be a consumer and not be connected. And we get hung up, I think, from being committed to being compelled. Being compelled is being all in. And there's so many other things that we have to juggle. I think that that is a difficult transition. So I'm excited to see where we go with those C's. This story in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is also a cautionary tale. It's the importance of being rooted and staying rooted. Because almost immediately after Acts chapter 2, their resolve is tested. Not only does time just go on, but human, our biases come into play. Our fallenness still creeps up. They get tested right away. They get tested because they have conflict with the authorities. And they have to decide whether they're willing to be in conflict uh, because of their faith. And then they have to deal with lying. They have to deal with cheating. They have to deal with people who are hypocritical who will say one thing and do another. And it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which you should look up. But basically, they lied to the church. They didn't need to. It was a dumb lie, and they did it anyway. And the church was at a place where if they didn't deal with this, it would have completely destroyed the fellowship. So they had to be rooted in what they knew was most important. And even though they were rooted, it doesn't last too long. They were world changers at the beginning, and it didn't last because life got in the way, and people began to be devoted to other things rather than being devoted to Jesus. For some reason, seven seems to be a magic number. You get the seven-year itch in relationships, uh, but institutions seem to go in seven-year seven year cycles. And so you get something like the early church that's a movement, and then after a while it becomes an institution. Or this church, 
when we were planted in the early 80s was a movement and it was exciting and it was fresh, but a movement always becomes an institution and an institution has to perpetuate itself. Church plants, movements, do a really good job of reaching people for Christ and transforming communities. Middle-aged churches, middle-aged institutions, sometimes forget what's most important and begin to turn their focus inward and spend, spend more time organizing themselves and finding ways to make themselves comfortable. This happens to the early church. We work really hard at Harbor Covenant to make sure that it doesn't happen to us. And Rooted will be one way that we can make sure that we are about the most important things. I told you this story, I'm sure, a number of times, but it was so formative in my life. Years ago, when we were uh, in, a, in a church in New York, a church that we loved, a church filled with people that we loved, a church that if you people were there, you would have felt very comfortable and could have stayed the rest of my life in that church and loved it. And I'm sitting on my back patio in this beautiful fall day in upstate New York, and I'm drinking coffee in the morning, and I almost audibly heard God saying to me, do you want to be comfortable for the rest of your life? Do you want to just drink coffee for the rest of your life? Or do you want to change the world? And, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And I'm like, God, I want to change the world. And I've never regretted that. And I think that same question comes down to us now. Do we want to just be comfortable? Do we want to just make ourselves happy? Or do we want to change the world? So let me ask you a couple of questions. The first question is, what story do you want to live into? Second, how would you currently classify yourself? Complacent, consumer, connected, committed, compelled. And three, what new rhythm would you like to develop?